This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We know that cancer touches all of us. Uh, The word is that one in two people will get cancer in their lifetime. And the latest report from the Canadian Cancer Society has good news and bad news. Overall, survival rates have increased by 8% since the early 90s, from 55 to 63%. That's pretty good news. And the biggest improvement is in blood cancers. Uh, that improvement is largely due to research that's led to improvements in treatment, precision medicine that, that tailors therapy to the patient. But the deadliest form of cancer, pancreatic cancer, is now on track to become the third leading cause of cancer death. And that will happen this year and it will overtake breast cancer, and it will happen even though the incidence of pancreatic cancer is a lot lower than the incidence of breast cancer. As many of you know, I am a very fortunate person. I am an 11-year survivor of pancreatic cancer, and now I am joined by Dr. Stephen Gallinger, who is a surgical oncologist and member of the GI Site Cancer Program at Princess Margaret Cancer Center. Uh, he's an eminent researcher, and full disclosure, he is also my doctor. Hi, Dr. Gallinger. Hi, Libby. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? I'm good. Well, this is not really a big surprise. We had expected uh, pancreatic cancer to become uh, a bigger cancer killer than it had been in the past. And I guess the reason is that things are improving in other forms of cancer. Yeah, that's right. It's very much uh, a pretty simple numbers game that uh, as the res- survival rates go up for some of the other common cancers, and we're not making as much progress for pancreatic pancreatic cancer than the overall percentage or contribution of pancreas cancer to all cancer deaths is going to go up, and that's what we're seeing now. Okay. Uh, Why are things improving so much for blood cancers? Well, I think, uh, as was mentioned yesterday in the Canadian Cancer Society uh, press release, there's a variety of factors. They were arguing, and I think it's true, that uh, so-called personalized medicine, where treatment is tailored to the specific type of mutations or genetic abnormalities or other abnormalities in the tumors, it's been a lot easier and more successful. And that's uh, the simple answer, I think, uh, is what was expressed yesterday. And I think that's true. I don't think that the frequency or the incidence of any of these cancers is changing uh, dramatically, but the outcomes of treatment are improving. In the case of breast cancer, the early detection seems to have helped a lot. And uh, that's obviously primary or secondary prevention would be great for all cancers. But I think most of these survival benefits seem to be related to improved treatment. Okay. Um, you know, uh, one of your colleagues described uh, pancreatic cancer as a hard nut to crack. What is so difficult about it? I mean, you know, survival has improved, yeah. but it's still in the single digits. Uh, what makes it so difficult? Well, yeah, it is a hard nut to crack. Like Jennifer said, it's, it's, 
a variety of factors that are pretty obvious to us, and maybe not so much to the public, but certainly to the medical communities, that it's diagnosed later than uh, other cancers. It spreads early, even when it's very small, when the primary tumor is small. We don't have any primary or secondary prevention or early detection uh, methods, and I think the bottom line, at least for many of us in the academic world, is we don't have a good handle on the biology of the disease, and uh, that's what we're all working very hard on is trying to understand, answer your question in a more scientific way. But the simple answers are what, I, what I've said. And then the other uh, big problem that we haven't really uh, been able to uh, achieve significant results is resistance to chemotherapy. Uh, so the standard drugs that we use, they do work, but they don't work well. And a lot of the newer drugs that work in other cancers, biologic therapies and immunotherapy in particular, doesn't seem to have uh, the same effect on pancreatic cancer as in some of the other cancers. There is some good news, though. Uh, people uh, are surviving longer, yeah. even if not many are, are hitting that kind of five-year benchmark. Yeah, you're right. There's um, probably the two most significant advances in the past year or two since we spoke. <laughs> One is um, about 10 or 15% of patients do have a molecular or genetic difference in their tumors compared to the rest, and those seem to be targetable. So we're, we're excited about that. It's about 10 or 15% in total. And, and uh, uh, it's probably technical, but what is the target called? So the two main subgroups are what's called HRD, homologous repair deficiency, also associated with the BRCA gene that you've talked mm -hmm. about in the past. Yep. That's about 7 or 8% of all cases, and they seem to be they seem to have a different outcome and more responsiveness to some drugs. And then another group is called uh, KRAS wild type. It's uh, lacking a mutation that we see in the other 90%. And those uh, tumors seem to be responsive to some other new kind of exciting uh, drugs as well, although, again, it's a small fraction. So that's probably one of the, one of the causes or um, reasons there has been at least a single number or two, you know, two percentage differences in outcome, and we think that hopefully will go up a little higher than 10%. Oh, great. Next year or two. And then the other one uh, was a paper, a report uh, of a large trial from France and actually in Canada as well, where uh, chemotherapy was given after surgery. It's called adjuvant chemotherapy. The chemotherapy is not all that new, but the way it was used is differently, and we think it's actually resulting in a few more actual cures, or at least people living uh, three, four, five years after surgery. So we're hoping that'll also uh, move the needle in the next year or two. So what, because uh, wasn't chemotherapy, hasn't it been given after surgery for a while? Yes, we've been using it for, you know, for decades, but we were using uh, a drug called gemcitabine for many years, and it took a few years to do this randomized trial where patients had surgery and half of them got gemcitabine and half of them got fulfirinox, which is this newer cocktail. And the group that got fulfirinox had quite a superior or better outcome statistically. There were uh, more long-term survivors than actual survivors. So everybody around the world has kind of implemented that in the past uh, six months. So that's after surgery. The other unanswered question that many of us are addressing is uh, chemotherapy before surgery. 
Uh, it's called neoadjuvant therapy, and we're about to address that here in Canada with a trial, and other groups around the world are doing that too. But that also actually in practice has been used uh, quite widely, hasn't it? Yeah, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, meaning before surgery, is used for many cancers, uh, breast, colon, lung, and others. Uh, the rationale or the logic uh, is pretty obvious in that you can get the chemotherapy into the cancer cells before the surgeon goes in there kind of disturbs the, the t- what's called the tissue planes where there's less blood supply. Also, we can see if the tumor is shrinking before surgery, and that uh, suggests that maybe the same chemotherapy can be used after. Um, those are the, some of the two uh, main reasons. And in the case of pancreas cancer surgery, because the recovery is difficult, uh, a reasonable percentage of patients actually don't get chemotherapy. They're not well enough, so they lose the benefit of chemotherapy. So you're right. It, it, it makes sense. Uh, we haven't been able to employ it in Canada because of uh, cancer funding. The way chemotherapy is funded, we need to generate some data. So we're actually starting a large trial in Canada just uh, actually this fall. Interesting. Uh, you know what what happens when celebrities uh, get a disease. So recently, Alex Trebek, and he has stage four pancreatic cancer, but he seems to be thriving. He's doing another season of his show. I mean, uh, and we just learned the other week that uh, cancer, pancreatic cancer, I don't know if it's a new cancer or it came back. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the U.S. Supreme Court judge. Yeah, I've, I've heard Obviously, most we've all heard that, those two stories. Um, I think it's important for the public to realize that you know two celebrities are really just you know two individuals. Uh, you don't hear negative stories that often, so there's definitely a publication bias. I don't know the details of either their medical stories, uh, of course. And for, in the case of Alex Trebek, it's still very early. So, the deriving a benefit of chemotherapy after six months occurs in about 30% of patients. So I think the jury's still out, and it's very early days for him. In the case of... Uh, oh, is it only six months for him? I think oh, it's I been less than a year, hasn't okay, it? Okay, something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, you hear a lot about it because it's in the press, but uh, in, in the real time timeline of the disease, it's pretty early still. And in the case of Ginsburg, uh, yeah, her story is very interesting. I don't know if it's a new tumor or a recurrence, you know, and she's close to 90, so uh, it is a remarkable story. She's had other cancers, too. But uh, again, I, I, I think it's good for us to hear that. It's good from an advocacy point of view to see that high-profile people are not immune to the common cancers that the rest of us are susceptible to. But uh, on a big-picture point of view, I don't know if you can take those two and say much yet. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, you're saying six months is early days. Mm-hmm. There was a time when uh, most people did not survive a year. You're right. It, and there are lots of stories real stories of patients of ours and people you know and your listeners, I'm sure, who die within weeks, and that still happens today. The, the average or median uh, survival with stage 4 disease is 11 months, and it used to be 3 and then 6 and then 8. Now we're up to about 11. Okay, and I know that uh, lots of people listening have loved ones or friends who've been diagnosed. I know at least uh, one person in master control is in that situation. What do you, what would you like to tell people who have just been diagnosed and it's, it's, you know, obviously a huge blow, like what should they wrap their heads around first? Well, it's hard. I mean, I can't, it's hard to give, I can't, it's hard to give generic medical advice when I see, you know, new patients, often we sort of tailor the conversation to what they 
want to hear and everyone's different. Some people take a very fatalistic approach and some, you know, a very hopeful approach. So I think that as long as they're receiving good care at large cancer centers that have multidisciplinary teams, then they'll get the best care that we have in 2019. You know, people often want to run to the U.S. or Europe or elsewhere, and it's hard because uh, they're not in good health, and a lot of these other places may not have, uh, you know, spectacular trials that are often advertised. And most of the cancer centers in Canada uh, have really interesting and important new trials. I would hope that they would consider participating because that's how we make progress. But for the individual, it's obviously shocking, you know, devastating news for them and their families, and uh, it's very hard to get their get a grip on it. It's it's hard to answer your question generically on the phone. Oh yeah, well, um, what I was going to say is that people should keep in mind we are really world leaders in pancreatic cancer, especially at Princess Margaret. Yeah, there's a lot of really good research in Canada. Uh, Canada is well known in the field of genomics uh, here and in Montreal and BC. There's really large, highly advanced centers that are doing work, basic science work, and also clinical work with patients. So the federal government has earmarked some new money for um, what's called the Marathon of Hope, ways to integrate or join all of different genomics programs, and hopefully pancreas cancer is on the radar. I'm sure it is. So uh, we're all working really hard. Uh, it's disappointing that the Canadian Cancer Society has that eight nine percent number, and it was pretty much the same last year. So I've been doing this a long time, and I, I do think there is hope, and we have made progress. So uh, you're right. Um, you know, medical care here is good, and I think the large cancer centers are really adept at dealing with these really complex cancers. Uh, question: You're a surgeon, obviously. Uh, one of the problems with pancreatic cancer is uh, the only, quote, cure is surgery, but only, what, about 20% of people are eligible for surgery. Right. So I want to know, have have surgical techniques improved? And I know that sometimes even people whose cancer has spread somewhat are getting surgery where they perhaps wouldn't in the past. Yeah, What's it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a moving target. I mean, the two major advances or three... I mean, one was more of a bureaucratic, administrative, political decision made 10 or 15 years ago, which was very effective in the country because we have a single-payer healthcare system for for whatever it's good or bad. But it, it does it did restrict the surgery to higher volume centers, so that's very good because, as you can imagine, practice makes perfect, and we do have a, a big team here in Toronto and elsewhere, uh, and that's what it takes to manage the surgical problems. The techniques are all um, been developed and employed uh, by the small group of surgeons that do the work and the outcomes are very good. Uh, the complication rate's lower, the death rate from surgery is lower. And you're right, we are tackling kind of as a community larger, more advanced tumors. We don't know yet if more surgery results in more survivors, but we're trying to study that by giving chemotherapy and sometimes radiation beforehand. So there's there's a lot going on. Surgery uh, is very effective when it's possible. Unfortunately, like you said, most patients don't have uh, operable disease. Okay, um, we're running out of time on this. What would you like to leave us with? Well, I think uh, the mainstay of our progress really as a community, not just here at Princess Margaret, but around the world, is it really has to be uh, more research uh, into this disease. You know, we, we're not making progress using some of the conventional techniques, and there's a lot of 
good research needs to be funded. There's an advocacy group in Canada, and there's others as well. So I'm not asking people to donate today, but I think they need to recognize that basic science uh, is probably the way to go if we're going to make a dent uh, in pan- for pancreas cancer patients. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Stephen Gallinger. Appreciate it. I right, Thanks, Libby. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.